This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest nonprofit regional health system with more than 4,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to prove that caring is their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General facilitates telemedicine services to schools, businesses, and government offices to make healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, please visit OxnerLG.org. Ian Ozan joins us today. Ian is the morning show co-host on KPL 96.5, along with Bernadette Lee. He is also well-known for his sports play-by-play broadcasting career. Previously, Ian worked as executive news and special events producer at KATC and at KLFY early in his career. A 2010 graduate of Princeton University, Ian graduated from Beauchene High School in St. Landry Parish. I've enjoyed my friendship with Ian ever since I met him. He brings kindness and enthusiasm to all he does. Since he's joined KPEL as morning host, I really can't get enough of his knowledge of trivia and music. Ian Ozang. I'm not saying it right. Ian Ozan. 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 Thank you. Would you like cash or money order for those compliments? (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I butchered your name. Look, it's not the first time that's happened. I usually (laughs) tell people like, how do you how do you pronounce your name? It's Ian. Ian's broke. Ian borrows money from Anne. Ian Ozan. Okay, all right. That's the easiest way to remember it. Then when you get the phone calls from, that's the beauty of being from Louisiana and having a French last name. Uh, Is Mr. Onazine, Mr. (laughs) Ozanine, that's how you know it's the telemarketers because they can't get Ozan right. Oh, and they're probably not from uh, from here. So. Oh no, they're India. not. That's the thing. And be- before caller ID, that was how that was the only indication it was a telemarketer. Once caller ID came along, then you could have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. Pick up the phone. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Pizza Hut. <laughs> to place an order, press one, and then once you got there, they'd hang up. That's a good idea. Or you could do uh, something. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? I can't take your call right now. And then once you get to that part, the click, they hang up. Hmm. You've got the voice for that, though. You've got that broadcasting voice. And, you know, I'm just thrilled to have you here. We met when you were very young, right out of college. Yeah, uh, 12 years ago now, back uh, when I was at KLFY. You would come in, I forget what for, but it was a spot on Meet Your Neighbor, and that's how we wound up meeting. Probably because I was working for Upper Lafayette Economic Development. That's it. And I I don't know if I realized you were just out of college. So if you want to back up just for a few minutes and tell us about growing up. I lived out by Beauchene High Mm -hmm. School. It's beautiful out there. It is. It's very... You took the words right out of my mouth for 
an area that's become more and more developed over the years, especially North Lafayette Parish and the Southern St. Landry Parish. Yeah, beautiful. That Doug. area out in Prairie Boss is still very rural, still very underdeveloped, save for a few subdivisions that have popped up. But the funny thing is, I never grew up in St. Landry Parish. My yeah. dad's side of the family is from the Lawtel, Opelousas, Leonville area. Which is close. Right. Yeah. My mom's people are all from Lafayette and New Iberia. I see. I grew up between Lafayette and Karen Crow off of Gloria Switch. So I've always claimed either Lafayette or Karen Crow. I saw you said you were a Lafayette native, but how did mm-hmm. you get into Beauchamp? My dad taught in the St. Landry Parish school system. Oh, so okay. when it got to the point where I was old enough to go to school in kindergarten, I wound up jumping the border with my dad every day. He mm-hmm. had transferred. He His first 12 years of his career was at Eunice High School. Then he transferred to Opelousas Junior High in 92 to be closer to home. So while he was there, I went to school in Opelousas at Park Vista Elementary. Uh-huh. Then he became assistant principal at Beauchan, and that's how I wound up at Arneville and then Beauchan yeah. for high school. So it was just a way of life. Instead of going to school at Austin and then Karen Crow Middle and Karen Crow High, I just went to St. Landry Parish. And it was easier, you know, to be with your dad. But, you know, that area is so rural. We lived in a place called Hidden Hills. Yeah. But our phone at the time, you know, the landline was a sunset number. 662. Um, Yes. And our mailing address was an Arnoville route. But then we were really closer to Grand Coteau. So you had Grand Coteau water. (laughs) No, even worse. We had, maybe not worse, we had well water. So when the lights. That might be a step up from Grand Coteau water. Yeah. When the lights would go out, the electricity, we didn't have water because the well ran on water. So when I moved to Lafayette, as, as beautiful as it was out there, I was so delighted to have electricity that was dependable and water that was yeah. dependable because you never know in the country what you you know what's going to happen. And that's the thing out there if a water main breaks, school's done for the day because you oh, have yeah. no other source especially in that rural area. But the beauty of going to school in St. Landry Parish is that it it shaped a lot of my life having those those friends that I had mm-hmm. at first at Park Vista the group of seven or eight close-knit friends that I had then, we're still tight to this day. We're in a text thread. And some days we'll text every day. Sometimes we'll go two, three weeks without hearing from each other, but we always pick up where we left off. Um, Going to Beauchan, Mm -hmm. there's still a group of close friends. You may hear of me refer to Nick and Butterbean on the air. They're guys I went to high school with. Butterbean, in fact, was one of the guys at Park Vista who wound up coming over to Beauchan. It's a great nickname. And... And had I not been there, I wouldn't know these people. Mm -hmm. And these are people who have shaped and influenced my life by being part of it from almost the very beginning. And the friendliness and the warm nature of people is what I really miss. I remember just going down the street, driving to the store, whatever you're doing. People wave to everybody. So when we moved back into town, I would wave to people and they'd look at me like, It's sort of like What's going up to that's like going up to the northeast where you come from here and you say hello to people, you mm-hmm. wave because it's you acknowledge what their you existence, do. right? You go up there and on a good day they just stare at you, on a bad day they flip you off. So it it's one of those things where you're right, even from rural St. Landry Parish into Lafayette, you get a little bit more of that city feel. But I think Lafayette, to some extent, is still more friendly than more mm-hmm. than other metropolises around here. Right. So how did a boy that went to high school in St. Landry Parish end up at Princeton? It, I don't want to say it was a fluke because it wasn't. It was just being in the right place at the right time. My junior year, Alberta Leonard, the guidance counselor at Beauchan, called, called into her office, several students. I was one of them. 
it was to discuss a program that was going on the following summer at Princeton, the Leadership Enterprise for a Diverse America. They were going around, they were interviewing students, taking applications, and they were looking for students from diverse backgrounds and especially from poorer communities Mm -hmm. in the United States to go. I looked at it and was like, okay, it's on Princeton's campus. Why not? So I filled out the application, sent it back, went through a couple rounds of interviews. They sent some of their people here, Lita did. And lo and behold, I was one of 54 to get selected to go to that program. One of, I think, four or five from Louisiana. And went, did this program, uh, June of 05 through August, and I fell in love with the campus. I loved Princeton, the architecture, the buildings, the trees, even the crazy squirrels. They'll dive bomb bomb you out of a tree, but (laughs) you'll learn to live with it. and there was something about not just the campus, but the community, the what is now the borough of Princeton, New Jersey. It used to be two Princetons, Princeton Township and Princeton Borough, but they've since merged into one larger town. It's about the size of Opelousas. There was something about that municipality that just caught me immediately. After eight weeks of being there, coming back here, I knew that's where I wanted to be. So... Went through the process of applying, but in typical E&O's and fashion, I waited till the last minute. The deadline to apply was 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 31, 2005. I waited till about, what, 7 o'clock Central, 8 Eastern to begin my application. Again, I am Captain Procrastinator. And in 2005, it wasn't, you know, digital wasn't quite as advanced. It, it wasn't quite as advanced. But you, you got in but, on time. But it was advanced enough. So I <laughs> fill out the application. I do the essays. I I go through the process. <laughs> and I finish. It took me two hours to do. So 9 o'clock-ish Central Time, 10 o'clock Eastern. So about hour and a half, two hours to spare. Hit submit. We're sorry. Our servers are overloaded. Please hit back and submit again. Did that. Submit. Mm-hmm. Same error message. This went on for two hours. At 10.58 Central, 11.58 Eastern, hit send. Thank you for submitting your application to Princeton. Oh I got in with less than a minute. Did you learn your before lesson? Before the deadline. No, no. I didn't. No. Absolutely <laughs> sure not. I didn't learn my lesson. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows I'm still very much a procrastinator, and sometimes not. Uh, it works out against me. Fast forward to April 1st of 2006. I'm in New Orleans for a quiz bowl tournament at a two-lane. We're playing St. Andrews Episcopal. They're a school out of Mississippi. Why they're playing the Louisiana State Tournament, I have no idea. But they're there, and they waxed the floor with this. It was 450-something to 50. It, it, it wasn't pretty. And after the match, I had my phone in my pocket. I felt my old Nokia brick ring. Yeah. Take it out. It's my mom. She had called. I called her back. Yep. We just got whipped. What is it? You got into Princeton. No, don't do this to me. And my parents were notorious for uh, notorious for April Fool's jokes. Oh. They would wake me up in the morning. Hey, you have a phone call. Pick up. This is dial tone. Or, or they would do something else just to annoy me. And this one was beyond cruel. It's like, no, don't. Annette, no, don't, don't do that to me. I, I've already, I just got my butt handed to me in Quiz Bowl. I don't need you telling me I got into Princeton when I didn't. No, you got into Princeton. Stop it. It's April Fool's Day. You got in. Prove it. So I hear her open the letter and read it. Oh, my gosh. Saying, congratulations, you got in. Oh. And that was the moment that I realized, oh, my God. My life. It happened. My life, yeah. It happened. 
And there were people that I knew who were close to me who said, you'll never get in. You're from, you're from Louisiana. You go to a public school in St. Landry Parish. They're not going to take you. You're not a blue blood. You don't have money. You don't have this. It's like, why not? I know. Why not try? So she read the letter and everything else that had happened that day just went away. Mm-hmm. And for the first and maybe only time in my life, I didn't wait on anything. I got back home that night while one of the NCAA Final Four games played in the background. I opened that envelope and there was an orange check yes or no postcard. Check yes if you're coming. Check no if you've gone somewhere else. I got it. I checked yes. The next morning, we dropped it in the mail of the post office. It's the only time in my life I did not wait to a, until a deadline to do anything. Still to this day, I procrastinate. But not for that. But not for that. Gosh. And it's, that was the one moment that I knew, we're going to have some fun with this. Yeah. I, I, I was ready for that moment. And the next four years were an absolute oh, trip. What were people like in New Jersey? They were fantastic. It, Princeton is much more diverse than you would think in terms of socioeconomic background, in terms of political views of the students and the faculty, I should note. Um, it's, I was beyond amazed at the wonderful people that I met and still keep in touch with. In fact, as we're recording this, it's a Monday later on this evening, one of my dorm mates uh, who I've kept up with for the last 12 years, we're going to have, we're going to catch up this evening. So I mentioned the long lasting relationships from my elementary and high school years I formed a few of those as well at Princeton. I still keep in touch with a few of my professors. Even though I wasn't their best student, I I still keep in touch with them. People from the Princeton Athletic Department still have contacts there. The long and short of it was those four years there molded me into the person I am now. If I wouldn't have left here, I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know if I'd be doing broadcasting. I don't know if I would be doing the sports casting thing that I'm doing because Princeton directly led to that. It's You studied politics. I studied political science, yeah. right? There was no uh, communications program there. Oh, really? But those who knew me said I majored in WPRB and minored in politics mm-hmm. because I spent more time at the radio station than I did in class or even my own dorm room. Was that from your high school? Like, were you... Did you run the school newspaper? Were you in? No. Uh, we Beauchamp's school radio? newspaper died my freshman year. I wrote exactly one article for it. I did the Acadiana Open Channel in high school. Okay. David Craycham, who was a professor at UL, hosted a show there, first with Daley Berard, then with John Best. John still does a show at the Open Channel. David was my grandfather's first cousin. And my grandfather knew I had an interest in AOC. I would call in on the wrestling show, This Week in Wrestling, way back when as a 10-year-old. And David found out. And he's like, Ian, you know I do a show on the Open Channel, right? You do? You want to come on the show? Well, can I'd rather be on with the wrestling guys. Can you get me there? It's my show or not. <laughs> and David had me on as a 10-year-old discussing issues of the day. This oh is back goodness. in the summer of 98. So you'd have to read the newspaper. Oh, and I did. I, I, I watched always, the news. We yeah. always watched the news, get home, five o'clock news uh-huh. with Chuck and Maria, or if we had it on Channel 3 with Scott Braston, De- Deborah Terrabile, or whoever their anchor rotation was at that point, either Peter Jennings or Dan Rather on at 5.30 and the local news again mm-hmm. at 6. I never had a bedtime, so I stayed up to watch the 10 o'clock news. Or 
The Tonight Show or whatever else. My parents gave me a lot of latitude in being able to do that and staying up and and watching stuff that more people like. Why would you let a kid watch that? Let them watch cartoons. Uh, you wanted to. But, but that's what I grew up with. It was what I knew. Five o'clock, that TV better be on the news. Don't change it at 5.30. And you certainly not change it at mm-hmm. six in case we got home late. Did you pattern your voice after the people you would see on TV? Yes. You don't sound... I did that when I was in grade school. I got to spend a summer in Kansas, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize till I was not in Baton Rouge with my family how we sounded. <laughs> and I just decided I want to sound, I guess, just neutral. I didn't want to have mm-hmm. a—I know I have an accent, but I didn't want to sound overly Southern or you right. know, uh, podunk. And mm-hmm. you don't sound like you're from here or New Jersey. So. <laughs> I patterned it off. My parents don't have much of an accent, they don't. if at all. You have to think about it, though. You do. Mm-hmm. My dad, I think he picked up some of an accent working at Beauchan. I bet. He has a little bit of a twang now. My mom doesn't have much of one, if at all. I patterned my speaking after them. My grandparents didn't have much of an accent either. But when you grow up watching the news and watching game shows mm-hmm. like I did, you pattern your speech after the Bob Barkers of the world, the Sage Acts, the Trebeks, God rest his soul, the Dan Rathers, Peter Jennings's. Every now and again, because the enunciation hanging, is so crisp and, and right. clean. And every once in a while, again, this is the Trebek, Peter Jennings, and also working for the Ice Gators for a little bit. Oh. Every now and again, I'll pick up a rolled vowel in my pronunciation where an about will come out as an about. Or because of the Canadian because of the influence. Canadian part yeah. of it, right? Uh-huh. And then a second ago, I heard it where one of my A's was a little bit shorter than it should have been, or an R was clipped. So I hear that Southern twang that comes out when doing sports play by play because you don't have time to think about that enunciation. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about the words more than the actual enunciation. So you may sound more Southern. I may sound more Southern. When doing sports play by play, when I'm ha- when I have to go You're at a rushing. rapid clip, so you'll drop the G's. Yes, <laughs> I never took speech, but I, I just know when I mess up. You know, you can hear yourself, and mm-hmm. you think, "Darn it!" And that's the odd thing: people never hear when you mess up, but you always hear it. We were talking before. You asked me, "Do you ever mess up? Do you have to start and stop recording?" Absolutely. I hear those little things, and they annoy the bejesus out of me, and. I will do multiple takes for something that some people are like, you did it right the first time. No, I didn't. It wasn't quite It perfect. wasn't where I wanted it. Right. So you got out of Princeton. I'm sure that was just unbelievable experience yeah. to graduate. Right. Gas prices university. right now are higher than my grade point average, but I got out. <laughs> and you knew you were coming back home? No. This was not part of the plan. I, the plan then was to look for something in the broadcast field up there. I had actually had a standing offer to stay on campus for three months to run WPRB for the summer. I'd done it the summer after my freshman year, and the trustees wanted someone who could stay back. None of the current, none of the undergraduates wanted to stick around. They all had other engagements. April 20th, 2010, again, a phone call during a quiz bowl match. I'm moderating an intramural quiz bowl uh, game. It was actually the championship for the, uh, in the tournament. My phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing. We got to halftime and I looked. I had five, six missed calls from my dad. So at that point, I knew something was up. That's kind of scary. So I called him back. I said, what's going on? He said, where are you? I said, I'm at a quiz bowl match right now. Call me when you get back to your dorm room. So I knew something had happened. I'm thinking, okay, 
somebody had a heart attack. My grandmother had had a heart attack a couple years prior. My grandfather had had triple bypass the year before that. So I figured something had happened with one of them. They're in the hospital. They're calling to let me know something had happened. Finish the match, get back to the dorm room. I call him. My dad says, are you sitting down? I said, yeah, why? Daryl died. Daryl's my grandfather. Oh. And forgive me. I'm sorry. We were like this. We were always close. And that was a gut punch. You were so far from home. Yeah, I wasn't there. I was up there. And at that point, I knew whatever happens after this, I'm going back to Louisiana in June. Flew back that weekend for his funeral, which, as everything else in my life, turns into a bit of a dark humor and dark comedy. I fly back. Matter of fact, the classmate that I'll be having a conversation with drove me to the airport at three in the morning because she didn't want me going out the night before and sleeping in the airport. So she drove me. My flight was supposed to be seven in the morning. Rain prevented that. The flight got rescheduled for 10, then to one o'clock, then to four o'clock. I didn't leave Newark International Airport till about eight that evening. So I spent my birthday at Newark International Airport. My birthday dinner was two Wendy's double combos for that day. Landed at Lafayette Regional 11 o'clock that night, slept, woke up the next morning, went back to my grandparents' house, went to the funeral home, saw the body, finished making the arrangements, and got back on a plane the Tuesday after the funeral, went back, finished up, graduated, got my diploma June 1st, and then 24 hours later, I was back in Lafayette. Mm -hmm. This was not in the plans, but when that happened, I knew I had to be back to make sure that yeah. my grandmother was okay because she took it hard and still to this day is still, I think, taking it hard. Um, so I came back and the first text message I sent when I got back to Lafayette was to Darla Montgomery. Darla and I have known each other forever. She and my uncle graduated high school together at OC. I job shadowed her in eighth grade. She remained a mentor all through the years. And I texted her back and said, I'm back. You got a job opening. And that's how I wound up getting hired on at Channel 10. She worked through the process. It took a little while because their corporate owner at the time, Young Broadcasting, had just come out of bankruptcy. They had a hiring freeze. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a reporter. No reporter openings there. What's the next best thing? Be a producer. So that's how they got me in as the weekend producer and producing Paspa 2 and editing tapes for or excuse me, producing Meet Your Neighbor and editing tapes for Paspa 2. So when you were at Princeton, uh, you talked about a, a station. Did you learn these skills at, at college? I, I mean, learned you, some of it at WPRB because I, I didn't work in was TV. Was that radio? That, that was, was radio. Radio, okay. I learned the sports play-by-play. -play. That's where you learned that. That was flying by the seat of your pants, learning as you go. And but if trying you can do to, that, you can certainly produce news shows. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, you can produce. All producing news is, is writing and writing it to where people can understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's the hardest part is taking press releases, especially from police departments and converting it into normal people speak. Police have to be so precise in what they say mm -hmm. and we have to convert that into everyday language. But with the sports play-by-play, -play, that was... That was a fluke. 
<laughs> I laugh thinking about the story because I'm, I'm envisioning it now. The guy who was supposed to do play-by-play at Cornell my freshman year, no, it was at Colgate, excuse me, was Barry Caro. Barry and I were playing in a, a flag football game on AstroTurf at one of the stadiums uh, on campus. Barry tripped and fell, landed on his hand, broke his fall, and wound up popping a tendon. So he had to put a cast on. He couldn't drive. I was the only other person in the WPRB sports department with a driver's license. So I get the phone call from the sports director, Freddie Flaxman, said, Ian, you have a driver's license, right? Yeah. Can you go do the game at Colgate this weekend? Absolutely. (laughs) What I didn't tell them is, is that I only got the license to go up to Princeton. The most driving I had done was in driver's ed. I needed an ID to get on the plane. So Bob Glasgow and I, Bob's my broadcast partner, are in the car with the guys from the Daily Princetonian, the newspaper, and we're taking turns. The guy from the Prince takes turns driving. I took turns driving. Just praying you wouldn't get stopped, huh? I wasn't worried about that. I was just praying I didn't hit anybody. (laughs) And I didn't. Though, on the way back... (laughs) Because New Jersey drivers, huh? Well, and New York, because we had to go up to Hamilton. Uh, On the way back, we're on one one of the interstates, one of the turnpikes. And I'm cruising along. I'm enjoying myself. And I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. And I look down and I realize I'm doing 125 miles an hour. Oh, my God. Open road. Gee whiz. You're not like the Audubon, huh? And I'm like, oh. And I can't repeat what I said out loud in the car. And I woke everybody up and I hit the brakes. And that jolted everybody else awake. Get back down to 775. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I look over and Bob is laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? It's like. I was waiting to see how long it would take you to notice you were doing over 100. Like, you knew? He's like, yeah. God. But Bob also is the reason why I'm doing play-by-play. This was the first broadcast that I had done from a booth. I started out color commentary. Bob, as a senior, had right of first refusal. He did play-by-play. So we went back and forth. First half comes around at the halftime. They brought us box sandwiches, turkey sandwiches. I ate mine, as the fiance will tell you. I am notoriously fast at eating. Bob's taking his time. So we get back. First play, kickoff happens. Bob calls the next play from scrimmage. As I'm analyzing it, I'm not paying attention to him. I look over to, to pitch back. He's got, a, he's got the sandwich in his mouth. And he just gives me this wide-eyed look and gestures to keep going. And that's where we went. Second down out of the shotgun formation. Jeff Anderson looks to his left, throws to Brendan Circle, caught at the 40-yard line, out of bounds, a first down for Princeton. And then Bob picked up doing color commentary, and we never switched. Wow. After the game, like, Bob, what the hell was that? He's like, I knew what I was doing. I wanted to see if he could do it. And you just picked it up. And I never looked back. The only time I ever did color commentary after that was if I worked hockey with Bob. He was the Canadian, so I deferred to him. I let him do play-by-play for hockey. But after that, I never did color commentary again. I did play-by-play for Princeton football, Princeton basketball, men's and women's, Princeton hockey, men's and women's, baseball and softball. Never learned lacrosse. I should have, though, while I was there. And then coming back here, that parlayed into doing high school sports and now with UL women's basketball filling in on men's basketball, baseball, softball when they need me. So that turned out well, that spending more time at the radio station than the library actually worked out in the end. Yeah, it did. Because honestly, you could have had maybe a higher grade point, but never would have had this career. Right. And 
And that's the thing. Maybe I could have had both. I I could have been a better student. I I think the statute of limitations is passed on that. I've stopped having the nightmares of Princeton coming back and repoing my degree. So I Mm -hmm. I think I can say now. You have those dreams? Oh, I had them for for a solid. I've been out 12 years now. So it's only recently they stopped. No, I would have dreams. I'd get a knock on my door, open the door. Hi, we're from Princeton University. We need your diploma back. We realize that you didn't take the right classes or some variation of that. And it's when you come from here and and knowing what my grade point average was, knowing that I was not the best student, knowing full well that I spent way more time at the radio station than I should have, that I even sometimes I think to myself, how in the world did you manage that? It's... I'm still amazed that I got out alive. But Darla probably didn't ask you what your grade point was. No, nobody cared. She knew your skills. The only people who care about your grade point average coming out of Princeton are the ones who are on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. That's why when you get people who are looking at those careers, they panic about their GPAs because the people on Wall Street use that to hire. Wall Street and law school. If you're going into the broadcast industry, nobody cares. It's a matter of can you do the job. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I do want to hear about your job. Before we get into that, mm-hmm. what you're doing at KPEL, I'd like to pause. Uh, we reflect back on previous interviews, and I wanted to bring up one we did with Sean Trichalik. He's now general manager of KTC TV3, and I know you you and Sean have known each other yes. for a while. In this clip, Sean talks about his love of broadcasting, his evolution in the business, and the rarity of having a local person leading a news station owned by a large corporate conglomerate. Usually they come in from all over the country. You can hear Scene's interview along with many others, about 250 others, at discoverlafayette.net. And I want to thank FACET, who is making this part of the program possible. They offer career transition services and executive coaching, and FACET has done so for 40 years. The experts at FACET stress the importance in getting your LinkedIn profile up to date to tell the world who you are and what you offer. Sometimes that third or fourth connection on LinkedIn is who gets you the interview for your ideal job. Visit facetgroup.com for more information. And now the moment. This position is all about leadership, whereas being in in sales or being on the air mm-hmm. uh, was more was was performance was uh, more task oriented, so to speak. Uh, you know, now we've got a staff of eighty plus. Um, uh, my job is leading our our leaders uh, to to get to get our our mm-hmm. product on the air. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we've got engineers, we've got journalists, we've got uh, salespeople, we've got clerical, um, and all of that plays into getting getting you know getting the station on the air. When I started right. in nineteen eighty nine, January the ninth of eighty nine at TV three, I never thought that I would become a general manager or the general manager of that station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, mean, I consider myself unbelievably blessed um, to be to be at that station. Uh, it's a big responsibility. I mean, it's, it's an honor for me to be, mm-hmm. you know, the general manager of a, of a 60 year station. Right. Um, I, I recognize the power and the responsibility of broadcast stations. Uh, but but there's also it's also a tool. I mean it's 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 mm-hmm. a it you know we can make an impact. Broadcasters make an impact, and it's to be able to do that at home is pretty unique in our business. I mean, our, you know, broadcasters uh, traditionally have been vagabonds. You know, I mean, general managers, uh, for, yeah. especially with big corp- corporations, they come in from another market. They're here for five or six years, mm-hmm. uh, and, then and, then, and then they move on. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a you know I'm a UL grad. 
Uh, I, I'm only the second UL grad to run that to, to run that station, and the first UL grad was our original general manager, Bill Patton. You know, oh. um, and and I'm the you know I'm the only uh, local uh, Acadiana native to run that station, which to me is great because right. I mean I know the community. I grew up in Abbeville. Um, I got into television. Uh, I was drawn to television because of KATC. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette with Ian Ozan. And I pronounced it right yes. that time. Yeah. So you have got such a colorful work history. And I guess we can kind of say you were at KLFY. Mm-hmm. Then you were at KTC, KTC for several years. Nine years. Yeah. And you were a producer there also. Right. Were you ever on air? Did you? Yes. At KLFY, actually. I mentioned okay. that I wanted to be a reporter yes. when I started. Uh-huh. And there was a brief time because of the hiring freeze that they needed an extra body in the field. That was the point where Alyssa Reitmeyer had just left. And Alyssa's now in Birmingham. Her husband works with Dr. James Andrews, so she's in Birmingham anchoring there. Um, I think she had left us to go to St. Louis at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Sean McGinnis had left to go to Myrtle Beach. We only had one reporter in the building, and that was Doug McDermott at the time. Doug was either off or called in sick. So we had no reporters working dayside that day. So I'm at my desk. I'm getting Meet Your Neighbor ready. My phone rings. It's Dwight Dugan, news director. Pick up the phone. Hello? Come here. Dwight, Mr. Gruff. I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap, what did I do now? So I walk across the newsroom to his office. Close the door. Sit down. (laughs) Okay. I sit down, and I'm thinking, all right, what's he going to chew me out for this time? He just sits, he stares at me, and shakes his head. I got to put you in the field. You got a razor in your desk. And and I wasn't on air, so I was attempting to let my beard grow. Let me emphasize attempting. And I'm like, no, but I can run to Winn-Dixie and get one. So I ran, got me a razor, some, some cheap uh, shaving cream, shaved, and I was in the field. I did a story uh, Did you that have a jacket day. with you? I always, at that point in my career, I always wore a suit to work, oh, even behind the scenes. Nice. Um, as I gained weight and realized, you know, I don't have to dress up every day, I, I kind of eased off. But at that point, I wore a suit to work every day, or at the very least, blazer tie and slacks. So you were ready so for I the was, occasion. I was ready just in case, because mm-hmm. I knew... If something happened, I was the next man up. So I always was pre- was prepared. As, a, as an umpire, you always learn to keep your, be- keep your gear and your uniform in the car mm-hmm. in case you get a last-minute call. And that was the same deal. Always have a suit on in case they need you in the field. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. I bet. Loved it, loved it, loved it. To be able to do it and to see the reaction you get when you actually turn the news story. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I realized, you know what? You have more of an impact when you're producing a newscast because you have your hands on every story, not just the one. And you can still have that impact and tell the stories through producing a full 30-minute newscast mm-hmm. or in the case of doing a morning show, doing two or two and a half hours. So producing, and after I moved to the assignments desk at Channel 3, when I left 10 and went to 3, working the assignments desk, you're still making the phone calls, you're still working beats. Mm-hmm. You, the only difference is instead of you being on air, you're partitioning out those stories and letting the reporters work them. You're still doing a lot of the grunt work. You're st- and now- Directing at, them. Yeah. Right, directing them. And now that we live in a digital age, and back then the station's websites were starting to become a priority, you're posting stories to the web. 
You are mm-hmm. working stories that may not necessarily get reported treatment, but you're still working them. You're telling those stories online and you get your byline for it. So that's just as good as being on camera. And the older I got, I realized, you know, being on camera is not everything. I, I learned to enjoy what I was doing and enjoy mm-hmm. being behind the scenes. Right. Uh, and, and on radio, you get the best of both worlds. Yes, you're on the air, but you're not on camera. You don't have to wear a suit. No, I don't have <laughs> to wear a suit. If, if I'm running late, and this happened a couple weeks ago, where I sleep through my alarm or I don't set my alarm for AM and set it for PM instead and it doesn't go off. If I'm on radio, brush my teeth, throw in a t-shirt and some shorts, Mm -hmm. run to the station and you can get on air. Nobody's going to know the difference. What time do you and Bernadette show up? I roll in usually between four and five, closer to 4.30. Bernie gets there about five. It takes me an hour or so to write my newscast just to gather the information, Mm -hmm. get it in. Today was a little bit longer because we had an audit uh, from the town of Washington come through. So I had to read through that and and try to figure out what was most important in that. Those audits don't come down till 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. So th- mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing with, yeah. with doing TV news in the morning. If you get breaking news that comes in or something like that and you have to digest a whole lot, it'll slow down your process of producing mm-hmm. a newscast. But it takes an hour in general to write the newscast. Bernie comes in. She records news for the 5.30 hit on our station as well as the news for Hot 107.9. She'll do that. She'll get the commercial logs ready. And by the time 6 o'clock rolls around, we're ready to go. How do you guys get your voices ready? Do you drink hot tea or coffee? I have to drink something hot. In the Bernie morning. drinks coffee. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? To kind of get mm-hmm. that woke, woken up voice. I don't do coffee. I've When I do coffee, the caffeine rush is great, but then the caffeine crash is horrible. So I've had to learn how to back away from that. Mm-hmm. The racetrack coffee is the best coffee in the world. Cheap plug for them. Their Colombian coffee is fantastic. Hmm. It's borderline addictive. That's that's why I've had to pull back lately. I used to do tea when I worked at Channel 3. That was my go-to, that or hot chocolate. Lately now, it's been a lot of uh, smart water. Yeah. Get the liter and a half, uh, either the regular or the alkaline water. I'll drink a quarter of a bottle or half a bottle before I go on air. That usually gets my voice and ready. And that's the best thing anyway. And I drink the rest of the water throughout the show. And it helps mm-hmm. It helps me stay hydrated too, which I've learned is is nice when you're, when you're trying to lose weight and focus on your health. But I'll drink a ton of water. On occasion, there'll be some tea, maybe coffee if I'm mm-hmm. really sluggish in the morning. But the one thing that I try not to do, and a lot of people don't, don't understand this, when I lived by myself, I didn't talk. I tried not to talk to, if unless somebody called me on the phone, unless I had a reason to speak. To preserve your voice? Silence. Really? It's, it preserves the voice, but also when you're sitting in the house, no TV on, silent, you're thinking, you're cleaning I your like head. I like it, yeah. That helps. But when I was in, when, before I sold my house and, and the fiance and I moved in together, we, I, I only spoke when spoken to or of having a conversation with someone. Oh, you had to adjust to this, mm-hmm. having another person. Right. And now <laughs> that and now that Dawn and I are living She's beautiful. together. Yeah. Thank you. I stalked you on Facebook. For mm-hmm. you. <laughs> She's and gorgeous. She, 
Thank you. I, I way out kicked my coverage on that one. <laughs> and she she's gorgeous. She's a wonderful person, and she she has to be to put up with me. But I now have to learn how to how to engage. Mm-hmm. And that's something where a couple of weeks ago she's like, "You haven't been romantic lately," and that's when it clicked. She likes conversation. Like, I I, I have to learn how to have a normal conversation again mm-hmm. after living by myself for more. 11, 12 years, I've there's used to get nothing, into those habits. There's nothing better, though, than silence. You know, I've, we're mm-hmm. in my study here. I work from home, and I don't play the TV. I do when my girls are around because they like to watch, you know, whatever is mm-hmm. on Showtime or whatever. But during the day, I don't play music, and I don't put on the TV. Mm-hmm. I just like, I don't know, I just like yeah. silence. I think better when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. That's what I did b- when I was in the palatial estate, as I like to call it. <laughs> When I was there, especially working from home, back when KATC had us working from home during the midst of the pandemic, wake up in the morning, if I'm working the evening shift, wouldn't turn the TV on, or go to Gerard Park because there's nobody there, go on the track, hit the tennis wall, go back home, lights off, quiet, get ready. Once I start at work, turn everything on. Mm-hmm. After work, shut everything off. Yeah. Meditate. If I worked... The early morning shift, wake up, put everything on, get uh, get awake. When the show was over, click everything off, go take a nap. That was my silence. And after that, I was ready to go for the rest yeah. of the day. I could do anything and, and whatever. Because mm-hmm. then when you see people, too, you're on. Right. You know. Yeah, and you I, have to be on when you see people in this business. Right, right. So it's, it's it was just a matter of adjusting and getting to that. And that's the one thing with with Dawn. We, we learn a lot from each other. At least I learn a lot from her. And I have to learn how to be more sociable, how to get out of my shell, mm-hmm. because it was so easy just being, just kind of hiding in the background. She's not the kind of person who hides in the background. So I, I have mm-hmm. to learn how to how to adjust to that and be that person again. I have to ask, with you being on each morning, and you really are on, mm-hmm. you know, I knew you from your time with the TV stations, but I didn't see you on air. I don't know that I ever caught you on, mm-hmm. when you were on the KLF. Don't worry, you didn't miss anything. Well, I'm not saying that, but I knew that you were, you know, a producer, as you said, behind the scenes. So when you switched over to KPL, I thought, well, i got to hear this. Mm-hmm. You're outstanding. Thank you. Your command of facts, your presentation you're a trivia, not nuts, I don't want to say, but you no, that's you, know, you know what you're talking about. I don't see you just kind of blustering through something. Mm-hmm. You are prepared. But when people bring up different topics, you're all over it. Whether mm-hmm. it's music, you know song lyrics, you know sports, mm-hmm. definitely. It just, no matter what the topic, you seem to be able to chime in. A lot of that is good retention. Yeah. The other part of that is Google. While you're having on the com- air? Having a computer in front of you helps. So you'll be talking and then like I, bringing up I'll stuff? I'll talk. And if there's something I'm not certain of, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through Like a year that something happens. Uh-huh. So I will Google it to make sure I'm right. If I'm certain, I'll say it and like, hold on, let me check that. So having that computer there helps, but also good retention. That Being a quiz bowl guy, someone who always wanted to be on Jeopardy, you learn how to retain weird things. It's... I don't know if that's something that you teach yourself to do, or if you're born with it, or what. But being able to retain all that useless stuff sometimes come back it comes back to help. 
And doing a show like that, where you have to know news, pop culture, a little bit of everything, Mm -hmm. it helps to have a lot of that retention. But also in producing newscasts, when you have that to fall back on, it, it... especially with a morning show, you can make your program, make the the newscast more interesting because you can weave in more detail. You can weave in more information that other people might not necessarily have connected to a specific story. Mm -hmm. So having that useless knowledge helps, but also sometimes having that ability to retain is is a curse as much as a blessing because you remember all the weird stuff, you remember the good times, but a lot of the the bad memories stick there too. Yeah. And you have to when you have a mind like this, you have to drown that out sometimes when those weird things pop up and like, okay, no, go Enough. away. Go yeah. away. I can't well, handle that. I find it to be great entertainment. And I also want to say that when y'all talk about tough issues, you bring your kindness in, but you're also direct. We've had some Things in the news lately where local officials, let's say, let us down, Mm -hmm. you know, a judge or this person or that person, and you will address the issue with candor. Is is that is that something you had to kind of grow into, or yes, easily? I've had to learn how to do it tactfully. Well, you do though, yeah. It's easy to tell somebody off. It's easy to run your mouth. It's easy to say what you want to say. It's more difficult to do it tactfully, to do it respectfully, because you don't want to go down the road of what somebody else may have done. You don't want to take the low road. You always want to take the high road. Mm -hmm. And with one of the instances that you alluded to with the Lafayette City Court situation, that's one where you can mouth off all you want. If you want that, you can look at the Facebook comments, look at any social media post. It's not what we are. At the end of the day, we're a news organization. Mm-hmm. I am someone who delivers the news. I, am I a journalist? Maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll let that up to some people. Some people are like, oh, you're just a talking head on radio. But there is some fact gathering in there, so I'll, I'll err on the side of journalist. I'm, I'm bound by an ethical standard. I am bound by what our profession dictates So if I'm going to call for someone to resign, I have to lay out the facts and make sure that everything is there. That way I don't have any egg on my face at the end of the day. That one's a cut and dry situation. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Now, for some of the other things that pop up, whether it's anything at Lafayette City Hall, whether it's at the state capitol, or whatever the case may be, if it's something that's if it's something that's polarizing, but not to the point of calling for someone to resign, that's where you have to look at it and say, is it worth offering an opinion or do you let the listeners and the viewers sort it out and just give them the facts and let them go for it? So I try to temper what I do and what I say. I'll look at a situation. If it's worth an editorial, I'll do it. If it's not, then in my mind, if it's not, I'll just sit back, report the facts, and go from there. Yeah. I like to hear facts and make up my own mind, but I know that editorials are Mm -hmm. very popular around here. But the problem is with an editorial, you get a viewpoint. You don't necessarily get the facts. Yeah. I want to know what happens when I'm listening to the news. And sometimes, you know, I think... I'm not talking about you but um, or your show, but sometimes you're not quite sure what really happened because yeah. there's so much opinion. And that's why I like, don't watch I, cable news. 
Yeah. I refuse I to watch cable it. news, except for Shep Smith. I've caught him on CNBC a couple times. I like what he does. Outside of that, there's there really isn't much in cable news because it's all of the cable news networks have moved away from news and, and more opinion yeah. because they're trying to drive ratings and advertising revenue. I miss Walter Cronkite. <laughs> yeah. It's, unfortunately, we have moved well beyond Cronkite, even uh, Harry Reasoner or Frank Reynolds, Peter Jennings, the rest of Tom Brokaw. That era is long gone. Mm-hmm. And even when you watch the, the nightly newscasts on the, the three networks, it's a lot of infotainment. Yeah, I I, tur- I turned on ABC World News tonight uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm thinking to myself, Peter Jennings is rolling over in his grave. He'd have led with some international conflict or some sort of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. We're leading with natural disasters that would have warranted that would have warranted coverage, of course, but it would have been deeper in the newscast. I was um, having a quarantine recently, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was stuck at home, and I discovered the Canadian. Network, Canadian News. CBC, right. It's like, uh, I don't know, it was 100-something on my LUS, Mm -hmm. you know, fiber network. And I really got into that because they just showed international news, but a lot, most of it was in the U.S. that they were Mm -hmm. showing. But it was so unbiased. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed it. I don't think I've ever just watched their news, Mm -hmm. but there I was stuck. And the BBC is a lot like that, too, in which their newscasts are very straightforward. And it's also good to have an international perspective of what we're doing here. Because the few instances where they Mm -hmm. have someone opining, it gives you a whole different view of of what's going on here. It's like, hmm, never thought of it that way before. No skin in the game. Now, Australia has 60 Minutes. And they do a lot of reporting on, you know, U.S. news, but it's not the biased news. It's right. just, here's this. So I, I never really watched TV, but that week I was <laughs> kind of watching a lot of TV. Yeah. hate to say it, but I really found some new things that were unbiased, but they weren't based in the U.S. So I just, I, I found it interesting to get us, you know, the slant that other people get when they learn about us. I have to start doing that too. I have the apps on my phone, but I hardly Mm -hmm. ever flip through to watch TV news anymore. If I'm watching TV, it's mostly for sports. Right, exactly. Well, look, as we wind down, I'm glad Mm -hmm. you brought up sports. You were on Sports Jeopardy, a show that Dan Patrick did. Now, I don't know how you did on that because it's no longer online. I lost. You did. I I led after the first round and then I lost my my rhythm on the signaling device. Now, you know, Rex Morrow is a buddy of mine too, and Mm -hmm. he was on Jeopardy with Alex Trebek. He said it's all in the thumb action. It is. You got to be quick. It's you have to be quick, and you also have to time your thumb with the lights on the board. What people don't see is that there are a set of lights on either side of the board. When they turn on, that's when the buzzer's activated. Oh. If you're too early, you miss. You're locked out for a quarter of a second. If you're too late, somebody's beat you to the punch. So you have to get the timing down perfectly. And in the first round, my timing was on. In fact, the guy who beat me, Eric Park, finished, I think he won six games before he got knocked off. Eric told me, he's like, you're the first person who consistently beat me on the buzzer. I had to change my uh, how I held the buzzer. And once he changed his strategy, he wound mm-hmm. up getting back in, hit two daily doubles, wagered big and won. But it was a great experience to be on that set, to have played the game or at least some version of it, to have had the signaling device in my hand, to be on that set. Yeah. It's that is up there as one of my top moments. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I lost. But I, not really. I didn't, I didn't make a complete fool of myself on national webcast, <laughs> but I still got a thousand dollars out of you it. You did? 
Yeah, what people don't realize, if you go on Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune just for showing up, they'll give you $1,000 to cover travel. Tra- transportation. Yeah, where was it? Where did you uh, have to go? Sony Picture Studios in uh, Culver City, California. Oh, so that's a Just trip. outside of L.A. Yeah. Thankfully, my paran lives out there. So I, I roomed with him. The, I got cheap plane tickets, so I wound up profiting after taxes like 500 bucks. so it all worked out. Hey, not bad for losing on Jeopardy. Yeah. But people don't realize Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune have a policy if you go on doesn't matter if you win or lose, you get money. Third place on Jeopardy gets $1,000. If you go on Wheel of Fortune and you win nothing during the game, they'll give you $1,000 as a consolation That's nice. prize. That's nice, yeah. Jeopardy's second place gets two grand, winner keeps the money. For Wheel, whatever you win during the game, you keep. And if you win nothing, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed $1,000. Well, you've worked now in TV and radio. Yeah. And I know you've got this, you've got a long career in front of you. You're so young. Do you have anything that you you aspire to um, yeah, on your career I, path? Saints play-by-play job would be nice. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I bet you'd love that. That, working for a professional team or a major college team doing play-by-play. I would love to do uh, boxing on television because I grew up watching that. Uh, Jim Lampley is the best. No one will ever, will ever touch him and how he, how he did boxing, but I'd love to give it a shot. Um, when the Powerball would be nice too. It would be. Um, you buy tickets though. You have to buy tickets. Oh, absolutely! Okay. I buy tickets. That, that's my, that's the Daryl Sonia in me. That's my grandfather. <laughs> um, professionally, uh, doing doing a major sports, have, working for a major team, working for Westwood One on the radio network, and and being able to do that, to live that dream, and to do it. So far, everything I've wanted to do mm-hmm. has happened. It may not have been the most direct route to getting there, but You're doing so it. far, everything I've wanted to do, I'm doing. And we'll see if that continues. I have, We've mentioned Dawn. I actually met her working at Channel 10. She was in sales. I was on the news side. She called me. Hey, I have an idea for a sponsorship on Passpot 2. Hey, uh, I'm bored. Come, mess with, uh, come BS. That friendship turned into... It took her a few years to figure it out, but that it turned into right a, a relationship, and uh-huh. we're engaged now, looking at a, a wedding date at the end of the year. Oh, that's no. There's no greater gift. And that's than love. the thing. Oh, I got the job. I got the girl. I'm doing pretty damn good right now. So. And you're officiating. We didn't even touch on that, but right. you are officiating. And, yeah, with, with sports. Which, by the way, if I may have a cheap plug. Yes. Of 4.4 million people in Louisiana, only 3,000 of them are sports officials. High school sports, especially, and youth sports, need officials. It's too late for this year, but with football season coming up, Greg Gotro, I know, lives not too far mm-hmm. from here. Uh, his son, Daniel, top officials in their respective sports. Uh, we have a lot of great officials who are willing to work and train the next generation to come up. So if there's anyone here who's listening who is interested in officiating, whether it be football, basketball, volleyball, softball, baseball, even wrestling and soccer, we need people. How do go, you get into go the to lhsaa.org Okay. Or shoot me a message at the radio station, Ian at KPEL965.com. I'll get you in touch with the right person. And we'll make sure that happens. We're losing people because we're not recruiting as many people as we're having retire. And it takes time to learn this. As you were saying before we started mm-hmm. taping, it's it, ta- it takes some time. Technical. There, You learn the rules. You have to go through clinics. You have to learn mechanics. But people who've played the game before have an advantage because they understand the game mm-hmm. already. It's now learning it from a different side of it. But even if you've never played, you have an interest in it and you want to get involved, get active, stay healthy, make new friends, and again, learn sports from a different side. 
I'll put that it's, in my show notes too. It yeah. is absolutely worth it. LHSAA.org, the officials tab uh, is on the page. Or again, Ian at KPAL965.com. Shoot me a line and I will get you in touch with the right people for your respective sport or sports. And it's it's something that's helped me. And I tell this to Dawn all the time. I say, she's like, why do you do this? It's like, it helps me be a better person. Because when you officiate, you have to learn how to be patient. When you officiate, you have to learn nuances of rules, nuances of of the situation you're in. Mm-hmm. You learn how you learn how to behave situationally and respond, but it also teaches you empathy. You also you have to put yourself in the shoes of the coach or the player. And you also have to own when you screw up. You have to be accountable to yourself as well as to your peers and to the players and the coaches. So there are, it, it's a lot of good person building. Mm-hmm. And that's why I stick with it because it's made me a better person. It's made me realize, hey, some of what we're doing here, I can carry that into my regular life. I saw that on your Facebook. I have to say when I was kind of seeing what you were interested in before we taped, um, you had the rules of the game from an officiating perspective. Mm-hmm. And it was more than just the rules. It was about how you conduct yourself, even how you dress. Yeah. You know? It's it's a lot of that. You have, to be pre- you have to be presentable. You mm-hmm. have to know what you're doing. You have to master your craft. And... You have to be you have to be a decent person at all mm-hmm. times when you're on the field and off, because you take the uniform off, but people know you and they know what you're about. And one little mess up, and this actually reared its head recently, one little mess up, and it puts a black eye on, on all. the in, mm-hmm. on, on all of us on the entire profession. And there there was a controversy with one official in North Louisiana who said some comments that were unbecoming to the profession and they blew up on social media. And now I, I don't know what's happened with that. I I really don't want to know, to be honest with you, but I'd imagine that the LHSA is going to have to step in and, and take care of that situation. Discipline. Yeah. It's, it's nothing that we want to do, but we always have to remember that we are, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And when you do it for that, you also have to do it everywhere else in your life. And that's where officiating has made me better. Well, Ian, I admire you so much. Gosh, I'm so glad you came today. I'm, I'm glad to be here. This was really awesome. And before I go, I love you, Dawn. I know you're listening. We'll put that in the show notes, mm-hmm. too. He's in love. So, Ian Ozan, pronouncing it right. Yes. Um, on-air talent with KPL 96.5 in the mornings from 6 to 10 with Bernadette Lee. Uh, officiating games and also play-by-play. Um, I'll put all these things in the show notes, but you bring a sense of joy to all you do. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing yourself with us here today. Thank you for having me. This is this has been, uh, I don't know if dream come true is the right phrase, but this is something once I saw you started doing the podcast, like, I hope she calls me one day. Well, I, I'm glad I got that phone call. This has been really fun. This Thank is you. perfect timing. Thank you. I've almost been doing this five years. Really? Yep. I started in 2017 in April, so I'm honored to have you here. And I find that the guests come on when it's time. I don't know how that happens because I don't have like this big plan. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's inspiration, but it's also people that I admire. So I want to thank you for being here. Again, would you like cash or money order for that? Well, I think we're good just with our friendship, (laughs) more than good. I'd like to thank you for listening also. I appreciate uh, our solid support from our listeners. You, You make the show happen for me. 
and also our sponsors. We couldn't do this without Oxner, Lafayette General, Facet, an executive coaching firm, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it happen. Thank you all. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, I'm Jan Swift. Thank you.